Yes, I am. You got two words. So then. Okay, that's right. It starts with so then. Anybody know what comes after that? That's what I thought. All right, so here's the deal. Next week, somebody's going to have these verses memorized. I got I to gotta feel like I'm doing something. If I'm, telling, if I'm challenging everybody to memorize some verses and nobody comes through, somebody step up. So uh, Colossians 2, 6, and 7 starts out. It says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Just as you received him, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, as, uh, excuse me, built up in him, strengthened in the faith, why am I forgetting it now? I just I knew these verses this morning. Now I'm spacing out. I was like stage fright or something. I don't ever get nervous on stage. What's happening to me? So, strengthen in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving. I got verse 6 down for sure. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. I got that one. I'm going to have verse 7 ready next week, I promise. Uh, but 6 and 7, I want to see at least somebody have verse 6 next week. It's like 10 words. Come on. Come on. Y'all can memorize 10 words. I know you can do it. We've got to hide God's word in our heart. But this is the basis for our series. Now, verse 8 goes on to say this. says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. So we are changing the way that we change. We're saying that the way that the world teaches us to change doesn't work. It might work for a little while, it might work to a certain level, but it doesn't get down deep. It doesn't cause us to change our motives, our desires, and it doesn't last. Ultimately, it doesn't create change that lasts for eternity. So the series is not only about change, but changing the way that we change. And the power to change comes from a deeper place, not from ourselves, but from him. In your seats today, you should see a, a note sheet, a blank sheet that City Church has some bubbles on it. Go ahead and grab that note sheet. Um, we put those in your seats today because we want everybody to take notes. Now, back in the day at City Church, we used to do a thing where we'd have fill-in-the-blank note sheets that we give to everybody every week. Uh, and we quit doing that specifically because we want people to come in prepared to take notes and not just to take notes on the points, but, man, to come in and here's what God said to me this week. So we don't just force feed uh, the specific points in the outline like we used to. But uh, today I want to make sure that everybody is taking notes. I want everybody to write down what we're talking about. We're looking at five facts that change the way we change. And last week we saw fact number one. So today we're getting to fact number two. And fact number two is this, and I want everybody to write this down. It is not achieving it's receiving. Back to, it's not achieving, it's receiving. And thankfully for you, you got the, the words all spelled out on the screen. But if you didn't have the words spelled on the screen, you had to remember how to spell achieving and receiving. There's a handy little rule that some of you might remember from grade school when it comes to I's and E's together. What is it? You guys are so smart. I before E, except after C, except when it makes an A, such as neighbor and way, right? Or something like that. There's like that other part that we all forget. Uh, but we all remember the I before E, except after C. That's the exception that we remember. Uh, there are certain rules that govern, govern English grammar. 
And coincidentally enough, there's certain rules that govern how the world works. And Paul says in Colossians chapter 2 that you have to change the way you change. You have to be careful. If you want to have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't do it the way that the world wants you to. You can't be captured by the ideas and the methods of this world, but we've got to approach it from a different direction. And so what we see here in Colossians chapter 2 is Paul begins to flip the script. He begins to flip the way that we do things. He turns it around. The kingdom of God, we need to know, is inside out. It's upside down. We sang that song today from the inside out. The kingdom of God doesn't work the way that the, the natural order of things seems to work. And so this series is about flipping things around and looking at things in a whole different way. So, for example, in the world system, we are, uh, we are wired to achieve and then to receive. Well, this gets built into us from an early age. This is what we teach our kids. This is the way we model it. It's like you eat your dinner and then you get some dessert, right? You, you do the homework and then you pass the class. You go to work and then you get a paycheck. Praise God. We achieve and then we receive, unless, of course, you're like a five-year-old t-ball player, in which case everybody gets a trophy, everybody gets a ribbon. Uh, there's no achievement required, which that, to me, that's not of God, but that's another story. Uh, I think our kids need to learn how to lose. I think there's value in learning how to lose, on how to be a good loser. Uh, when I was like seven years old, six years old, somewhere back then, when I was young, I did this thing. I was in this thing called Royal Rangers. And Royal Rangers was basically like Christian Boy Scouts, like super spiritual Boy Scouts. Uh, and one of the things we did is we had a Pinewood Derby event. And so we made these Pinewood Derby cars. And I got to design mine. And my dad was very uh, laissez-faire. Like he's a big like capitalist. So he believes in like you make your own decisions and you suffer the consequences of them. So I designed my own car. And I'm six years old. And I draw my race car. And it's hideous and extremely not aerodynamic. Uh, so we get to our race, and, and we get up there, and they open up the cars. And basically the way it works is there's this race track, and you put your little car in there, and there's four cars in the track at a time. And they open the gates, and they rush to the bottom, and whichever car gets to the bottom wins, or whichever car gets to the bottom first. And so, of course, they open it up, and my little orange piece of whatever, uh, not very quick. It doesn't make it to the bottom first. I finished third place in every single race that I entered, third out of four, out of like eight races. And I'm devastated, I'm crying, I'm, I'm not used to losing yet. You know, this is, a, this is a rough time. But I learned some valuable lessons from that. We got to, in the normal world system, we have to achieve in order to receive. And I went home, I didn't get a ribbon, I didn't get a trophy, I, like, I got like a pat on the back. That was the best that I, that was the greatest thing I had to show for my involvement there. But we do this in so many aspects of life. We learn to achieve, and then we receive. College students in the first, second semester of college go into your academic advisor and say, hey, I'd like to get my diploma now. And see what they say. You say, hey, you know what? I think it would really motivate me. I would really work a lot harder. I'd make better grades throughout my college experience if I got my diploma now. Not going to work that way. Or uh, employee, go in at your week, at your, to your boss this week, Say, hey, I want to get my year-end bonus today. It's January. I've put in a good solid week. I think it's time for my year-end bonus. I think I'm going to produce greater results over the next 51 weeks if I got my bonus now. It doesn't work that way, right? Why does the bonus even exist? It's there to motivate you 
to achieve throughout the year? Why is the diploma out there? It's there to motivate you to do the work, to show up for your exams, to pay attention in class. We all understand we have to achieve before we receive. That's the way the world system works. That's the way it's designed to work. I know this is very simple, but this is going to give us some, some context for our message today. Here's the thing. Here's the crazy part. The gospel doesn't work that way. The gospel of Jesus Christ is nuts. It's backwards. It's upside down. It doesn't make sense. It violates everything about our human sensibilities. Jesus does not say you achieve and then you receive. He says you receive so that you can achieve. Colossians 2.6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, you receive first. Now, continue to live in him. The reason this was so revolutionary in Paul's day and continues to be revolutionary in our day and age is every other religious system, every other belief system comes at it from the opposite angle. And in fact, many times, well-meaning Christians will flip this around too, back to the normal way of doing things that we achieve in order to receive. That I have to do X, Y, and Z to get to God. That if I go to church enough, that if I stop sinning enough, that if I love people enough, that's going to get me from where I am to where God is, that I'm going to achieve relationship with him, and then I can receive the benefits. But it's not the way it works. Jesus says receive, and now because you've received, you can achieve. He comes along and he changes the rules. He flips the script. He became the exception for us. He said, everybody else will show you the way to get to God. Everybody else will show you the steps you have to take to try and achieve something. But I'm coming to you. I'm leaving heaven and coming to earth and not building you a ramp from earth to heaven. He came to us and he says, we can now receive. And so it changed everything. Now, when you came to Christ, whether that was 30 years ago or three weeks ago on Christmas Eve or somewhere in between or, or whenever you made that decision, if you have made that decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, and let me stop right real quick and say this. This whole message is coming to you from the perspective of that you're already a Christian. Um, if you're already a Christian, this message is for you. If you're not already a Christian, man, tune in and you're going to hear how great it is to be a Christian. It's going to make you want to take that step. But, but all of this is coming from the idea that we got a group of people in this room who have already taken that step and received who Jesus is and what he, he has done for us. If you've not yet received him, I want you to know you don't have to do anything. You don't have to achieve anything to receive him. You can receive him today as your Lord and Savior before you even leave this place. Uh, but for those of us who have received uh, him, it's very important for us to understand that that doesn't now put us in achievement mode, even though many times our brain wants to take us there. The philosophy of Christ is so much different because it's based on an exception. The natural system, which God designed, is achieve and then receive in every situation, but there's an exception. I before E, except after C. There's an exception. There's a reason why in some circumstances it flips and now E comes before I. And in this situation, receive comes before we can achieve. In the situation of Jesus 
coming in to our life. God is shouting from heaven by the cross where Jesus died by the grave, which is now empty. There is an exception for our lives. There's a supernatural exception. It's called grace. There's a supernatural exception. It's called mercy. And we get to receive that exception into our lives on a daily basis. Not just a one-time experience, but day after day after day. So why did I make you get the note sheet out and write out a couple of words that you maybe remembered how to spell or maybe didn't? Because I want every time from now on that you write the word receive, every time you see the word receive, I want you to remember there's an exception. I want that word to be a, a reminder to you constantly of the script that Jesus flipped and how he came to allow us to receive before we achieve. There's something to this. I know it's simple, but today could possibly be the day that the Christian life becomes not simply about achieving something for God in order to get God to approve of you, but became the day that you receive the approval that Jesus already has for you, and that would change everything in your life. Tell the person next to you, I before E, except after C. Got to remember, there's an exception. It's a gift. Righteousness is a gift. Holiness is a gift. Thanks to Jesus, we play by different rules. When I say the Christian life is mostly about receiving and not about achieving, there's an offense that comes up in many of us because we automatically think this is going to give somebody an excuse to be lazy. This is going to give somebody an excuse to walk in sin. This is going to give somebody that license to go out there and do whatever they want and not do the things that God has called them to do. There's this, this part of us that automatically goes to that place. And let me tell you, that's exactly where my brain goes immediately when I'm confronted with this kind of truth. I'm like, but Lord, somebody's going to trample on it. Somebody's going to abuse your grace. Somebody's going to sit and soak in the UV rays of your mercy and never get up and do anything for the gospel. I get concerned about that. When I was a senior in high school, as I was getting ready to graduate, I had some great scholarship opportunities that were lined up for me. I was blessed with some intelligence that I didn't really uh, earn or deserve. I didn't work hard in school, and yet I made great grades and killed it on my SAT, and so I got some great scholarship opportunities. And because I got the scholarships, my parents decided they were going to buy me a car. That was always the deal. If you get school taken care of, then we're going to help you take care of a vehicle. So about two weeks before I graduated from high school, back in 1999, my parents bought me a Dodge Stealth. And this was back when a Dodge Stealth was still a cool car to have. Uh, Not necessarily the case anymore. So I got the Stealth, and I love this car, and it's pretty and it's fast and I put rims on it and wasted money and I was stupid Uh, and so not too long after I got this car I was at my girlfriend's house and I'd been dating this girl for a little over six months by this point in time and she lived about 30 minutes away from me and we lived in North Carolina in not really the mountains but the foothills a lot of hills a lot of curvy country roads and of course she lived way out in the middle of the country and so there was a lot of curves a lot of challenging roads between where she lived and I lived and of course this is going to shock a lot of you but I was running late getting home 
uh, for my curfew. And so I decide, you know what, I'm going to have to drive a little faster than the speed limit. And so I start testing out the stealth and seeing it, what it can do. And I'm enjoying myself. And I know these roads like the back of my hand. I've driven them many, many times, except they had recently repaved. In fact, that week they had repaved this one particular road and because they had repaved it it was about six or eight inches taller than it normally was so as I'm going around one curve my right front my passenger front tire lifts off of this new paved road towards the ditch on the right side so what do I do I do what a lot of inexperienced drivers would do I over correct and so I bring myself back onto the road but I come too hard and my back end spins out and I do one and a half spins and end up off the ditch, 12 feet down, on the other side. I didn't make it home by curfew that day. Uh, I had to get towed out. Uh, it was only by the grace of God that I did not kill myself at the speed that I was going. I literally backed it in right between two trees. It was a miracle of the Lord that I'm even standing here, that I have any brain whatsoever to be able to communicate with you this morning. What I want you to see is a lot of times truth is a lot like that road where a lot of times we see there's a ditch on one side and we are so aggressive to avoid that ditch that we overcorrect and we end up in the ditch on the other side. And so what I don't want to do today is eliminate the idea that God wants you to do something. I don't want to eliminate that at all. God wants you to do something. It's not receive instead of achieve. It's we got to get the order right. It's receive then achieve. And so we're not going to Lip off into the dip and see, or into this ditch and see, you know what, man, so many people are so focused on achieving that they forget it's all about Jesus, it's all about the cross, it's all about grace. And then we avoid this ditch and yet we end up in the ditch on the other side where we don't actually do anything. It's not a straight either or situation, it is a both and, but there's an order to it. The Bible is very clear that there's stuff we're supposed to accomplish. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 incredible verse one of my favorite in scripture says this says do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it that's the receiving part you got to get God's word in our heart we got to begin to speak it it can't even leave our mouth we got to be speaking it constantly we're meditating on it day and night that's the receive we're getting it in we're receiving God's word we're receiving his calling we're receiving what he has to say and then then you will be prosperous and successful. You know God wants you to be prosperous and successful? Let me say that one more time. Do you know God wants you to be prosperous and successful? Isn't that a good, like, good statement? Don't we need to hear that maybe a little more often? That God wants us to prosper and succeed. God has something for us to achieve, but there's an order to it. we got to receive what he has for us first. Don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. Receive what he's saying to you, then you're going to prosper and succeed. There's a parallel book to the book of Joshua in the New Testament. See, and Joshua is all about the Israelites coming in and seizing the physical promised land, the physical kingdom of God. In the New Testament, there's a book called Acts. And in the book of Acts, the followers of God, they don't go and seize a physical piece of property. They go out and evangelize the world for the glory of Jesus. The spiritual kingdom of God begins to take place. And in that parallel book, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, the same exact chapter and verse, it says this. Jesus, speaking to his followers, tells of the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's the receive. 
you will receive power. How many people want to walk in some power this year? Man, how many want to walk in some power of the Holy Spirit? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What's that power designed for us to do? To make us witnesses. Says then goes on to say you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We receive first, then we achieve. Then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We receive the Holy Spirit, and then we achieve. You'd be a fool to say that the disciples didn't care about achieving. We start in the book of Acts with 11 disciples, with 120 followers of Jesus waiting in a room for the Holy Spirit to show up. And by the end of the book of Acts, the gospel has spread throughout the Roman Empire. They have taken the gospel before kings and emperors. They have taken the gospel and begun to spread it to the uttermost parts of the earth. In fact, we today are spiritual children of the acts that, were, that happened in this book. We are heirs to everything that they did. We would not be Christians today if they had not taken the truth that God gave them through the power of the Holy Spirit and shared it with the world. They achieved a ton. Man, I would love to have a fraction of the achievements that we see in the book of Acts. But it didn't start with them going out to achieve. It started with them going to a room and locking themselves in a room and praying and seeking the face of God so that they could receive. And the achievement was simply a natural outflow of the fact that they received what God had for them. So we're not saying today, receive, 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 do not achieve, because then we'd be overcorrecting and jumping from one ditch to the other. What we are saying is there's an order, and we've got to receive first. Now, in mathematics, we already did some grammar, so now let's jump over to math. In mathematics, uh, there's a couple of terms that you may or may not remember. A postulate is a statement, basically a statement of fact. It's a statement that cannot be proven wrong. It's a statement that, that's 100% true. And so there's a postulate uh, of, of many different things. For example, one postulate is that if you have two points anywhere, two points, you can put a straight line between those two points. Common sense, right? We all understand that. No matter where the two points are, we can draw one, a line from one point to the other. So if we have a postulate that it's not achieving, it's receiving. That's our postulate. Now math has another word called corollaries. And corollaries are things that we can infer from the postulate. If the postulate is true, then these other things must also be true. So I'm going to give you three corollary truths to our fact today. The three things that are true about receiving and achieving once we understand that the postulate is true, that it's not simply achieving but it's receiving so here we go number one corollary is you must receive before you achieve hopefully we've kind of explained this one pretty well but there is an order to it you've got to receive first we're not going to go out and accomplish anything for the kingdom of God under our power can't be done I am not that good you are not that good. You're not going to go in to your workplace and lead your heathen, nasty, selfish, greedy boss to Jesus in your strength. You ain't that good. You're not that smart. You're not that funny. You're not that good. We got to receive before we can achieve. There's an order to it. The second corollary is we must receive in order to achieve. It's not just one so that there can be another. It's they are connected it's not just you've got to do this thing and then you're going to do another thing. This is a prerequisite. You've got to do one in order to do the other. If you don't receive, 
You're never, ever, ever going to achieve anything of eternal significance. The third corollary is this. If you receive, you will achieve. This is the best one. If you receive, you will achieve because it ain't you achieving it. It's God inside of you. It's his strength, his power achieving for you. Achievement is a natural byproduct of receiving, and that's why it's so important, church. I don't know what's going on with the mic. That's why it's so important for us to meet with God every day. This is not a one-time thing. This is not a salvation thing. This is not I raised my hand in a church service thing or I came down front during a worship moment. This is I got to receive something from God every day. You know what I prayed before I got up here today? Pray, God, give me something to say to these people. Because if I say something to them that's for me, it's not going to do anything. But if you speak to them through me, you have the power to change their destiny. You have the power to change their entire future. So I got to receive something from you so that I can give it to somebody else. And here's the truth you need to understand. That's just not just a prayer that a pastor can pray before he hits the stage. That's a prayer that you can pray before you go talk to your rebellious teenage daughter. That's a prayer that you can pray before you begin to work on the issues you've got in your marriage. That's a prayer that you can pray before you go out there and put in that job interview. God, give me the right words to say. Give me favor as I go before this manager. You know I need this position. But you've got to receive before you can achieve. Herein lies the answer to so much spiritual frustration when I get out of performance mode and I get into dependence mode, depending on him. Not a one-time thing, not showing up to church on Sunday morning, but a dependence on him daily. I'm spending two minutes in the morning with him and 10 minutes with him at lunch and 15 minutes with him in the evening or, or at some point in time throughout the day, I'm connecting with him, I'm receiving something from him so that I can have something to give to somebody else. That's when everything changes. You know why some of you aren't very good at forgiving people? This is going to get real, real for a couple of minutes. You know why some of you struggle to forgive Because you haven't received forgiveness. Because you haven't really experienced and understood what it means to be forgiven, to come before the Lord, to be washed in the blood of Jesus, to have your sins erased from history. You haven't really experienced that. You haven't really received that. Maybe you are forgiven, but you haven't received it up here. You haven't comprehended it. It hasn't begun to renew your mind. And because you're not walking in forgiveness, you can't forgive that dude for that thing he said about you. You can't forgive that woman for the way that she crossed you. You can't forgive that family member for the time that they let you down because you haven't yet received forgiveness. You know why some of us aren't very good at affirming others? Because we're not coming before the Lord and getting his affirmation. We're not good at affirming others because we're not hearing from him. We're not connecting with him. We're not spending time with him and getting that affirmation, receiving that from him. And then secondly, we're not good at affirming others because we've surrounded ourselves with other people who are just giving us a bunch of false affirmation. That's not really true. It's not really from God. It's just something to tickle our ears and it's drowning out the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know why some of us aren't very good at encouraging others? We're not getting encouraged. 
we haven't surrounded ourselves with people who are going to speak God's word into our life, who are going to speak God's truth into our life, who are going to encourage us the way that we need to be encouraged, not just people who are going to make us feel good about ourselves, but people who are truly going to give us the truth of God and speak it into our lives. We haven't surrounded ourselves with them, number one. And number two, we haven't gone before the Lord and gotten the encouragement that only he can bring. You know when you open up? the word of God, when you begin to study God's word, when you begin to get in God's word, he's going to identify some encouraging words for you. He's going to say that word right there, that was for you. His Holy Spirit inside of you is going to begin to activate and begin to speak and say, you need to underline that. You need to highlight that. You need to circle that verse right there because that was for you. And I want to encourage you with it. You need to hear that. It's going to change the way that you look at yourself. It's going to change the way you look at your situation. And now that you've got some encouragement, now I want you to go out and encourage somebody else. See, we receive, and then we carry out the thing that God does inside of us. All life should be a cycle of sorts where, where we receive from God, where through the power of God we go out and achieve something, and then we give all the glory back to him. And he receives the glory from it. And then we receive from him, and then we achieve for him, and then it goes right back to him. It's a cycle. It's a circle of us, of us receiving from him, us achieving through him, and then him receiving back all the praise and glory for it. We're not just talking salvation here. We're not just talking about a moment of I get forgiveness and I came to Jesus and now I'm a Christian and so now I'm on my own. You know how many Christians think that way? Jesus died for me. He forgave my sins. Now I go to heaven and now I got to do all this stuff myself. Now I got to live up to all these rules all these expectations, all these laws in the Bible. And, man, a lot of people approach the scripture that way, and we look at it, man, i got to do all this stuff, and I can't do any of this stuff, and how am I ever going to make that happen? You can't. You can't. You can't. It's not possible. You're not supposed to. Jesus came and achieved all that for you. He did it for you. He fulfilled the law for you. He died the death for you so now you don't have to live up to the law now you fall in love with Jesus and when you fall in love with Jesus he gives you the strength and the power through his Holy Spirit to do the thing that you could never do by yourself that's the gospel and so many of us miss it so many Christians never really understand it we constantly default to performance mode trust me I'm bad at this my flesh does this to me all the time. I'm constantly checking, well, why haven't I done this? And I need to do this, and I need to do this, da 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 And the point is not I need to do all this stuff. The point is I need to receive a little more from Jesus. And if I receive a little more from Jesus, that stuff's going to get itself in order. So we receive, and that gives us the power to achieve. See, the primary responsibility of a believer is not to achieve something for Jesus. It's to receive something from him. And when you walk in your primary responsibility, all those secondary responsibilities will fall into place. You know, it's not selfish to ask God to give you good gifts. It's not. You need encouragement. It's not selfish to ask God for some encouragement. You need some joy. It's not selfish to ask God for some joy. You need peace. You got some some chaos in your life. It's not selfish to ask God for, for peace. You know what? It's selfish not to. It's selfish not to. Because you can't give anybody anything of significance that came from you. But you can change their eternity with something that came from God. 
And when you begin to ask him for those things that you need and he begins to give them to you, now you're empowered to go out and give them to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your friends, to your family. Now you've got the ability. Have you ever gotten a gift from somebody that you didn't want and then you re-gifted it? Any, any re-gifters in here? Anybody honest? Hey, I, I've, been a re- I've, done, I've re-gifted once or twice. Not on, a re- not on the regs, but I've done it on occasion, all right? Well, it, it, when you re-gift, there's basically three reasons why you would re-gift, right? Number one, you're cheap, uh, <laughs> right? Hey, I can't afford a gift. I got a gift. I'm going to give a gift, right? We're cheap. Uh, number one. Number two is you just didn't want it. That's normally why I fall if I re-gift. I'm not really into that. I'll want somebody else who will like it. Uh, or number three is you already have one, right? That's the third reason why you might re-gift something. You just got, I don't know, another toaster, and you've got a toaster. You don't need a toaster, but you got some newlywed couple, and you're like, hey, we're going to give them a toaster for their wedding, because that's what everybody gets for their wedding, and they get 17 toasters, and then they get to re-gift a toaster. And that's the cycle of toasters, right? That's the way that it works. It's the re-gifting process. Well, you know that the Christian life is all about re-gifting? Think about this. Grab hold of this with me, man. Hold on. Don't miss this. The Christian life is all about re-gifting. It's all about I've been forgiven, God's given me forgiveness, and now because I have forgiveness, I get to give forgiveness away. God's given me joy. He's filled me with the joy of the Lord, and because he's given me joy, now I get to speak some joy into somebody else's life. Are you grabbing hold of this? The Christian life is all about re-gifting. It's all about giving others what God has already given us. It is good. Praise God. It It ain't even me. It's him. Man, you gotta the order right. you got to put the E before the I when you receive. you got to put the receiving before the achieving in order for it to really work right. One of the great privileges of being a pastor is I've been given the opportunity on a few occasions to give people some incredible gifts. There was a situation uh, where someone from our church had a surgery and was out of work and another family from the church came to me and said, hey, we really want to bless this family that's out of work, and gave a pretty large sum of money. Said, we don't want them to know it's from us, but we want it to be anonymous. So I got to go over and give them this large check, this gift, and say, hey, it's from somebody at the church. And, but you know what happens? When you're the person who delivers it, you get the credit, right? Like, if you show up with the check, you give them the check. Oh, man, thank you so much, Pastor Troy. I just drove over to your house. I didn't do anything. I just showed up with a check that somebody else wrote, but I got... The glory. I got not really the glory because it's not about that. I got the, the enjoyment. Man, I got to see their face. I got to experience it with them when they received that gift. And many times uh, as youth pastor, I was able to do that for a, a young person who couldn't afford to go to camp or couldn't afford to go on a mission trip. And sometimes I would go and recruit, hey, I, I got this kid and I know that they really need to experience this. Is there any way you can help? sponsor them for this thing. Sometimes sponsors would come to me and say, hey, I really think God's laid it on my heart. I want to give some money towards somebody to go. Is there anybody who needs it? And I'd find the person who needs it. But I've been able to be the person to give a lot of gifts, a lot of gifts over the past nine years that I've been here that didn't come from me. You know what? That's really what Christianity is. You're just giving a whole lot of gifts that you didn't pay for. You're giving a whole lot of checks. You're writing a whole lot of checks that you didn't earn. You're blessing a whole lot of people with stuff that you didn't pay the sacrifice for. You're simply passing on what somebody else gave to you. I want to close this morning with uh, a story from the Old Testament. It's a story about an individual that we talked about 
in our God of the Underdog series. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to Genesis 29. We're going to read uh, 10 or 12 verses from Genesis 29. But here in Genesis 29, we find part of the story of a guy named Jacob. We talked about Jacob quite a bit. If, if you weren't here, just uh, as a matter of review, just very quickly, Jacob was a twin. And his older brother, uh, who was born just a few moments before him, his name was Esau. And as Jacob was coming out, as he was being born, he grabbed hold of his older brother's ankle, Esau's ankle, and he was pulled through, I guess, the birth canal. Uh, and he was born, uh, and his name was actually Jacob, which means deceiver. Uh, it means literally grasped at the heel, which is a Hebrew expression, which means deceiver. So he was given that moniker throughout life, and he went on to deceive. He stole his brother's birthright. He stole his brother's blessing. His brother found out. Uh, and began to hunt him down. And so Jacob fled from Esau from their home there in the south part of what is now Israel, uh, out into the north, uh, where the family used to be from. And he went to his uncle Laban. And he comes to his uncle uh, Laban's city, and he's actually out at a well, and there's a girl. He thinks she's pretty hot. And she greets him at the well, and her name is Rachel. And he asks Rachel, well, hey, do you know about this guy named Laban? He's my uncle. And she's like, oh, that's my father. Like, come back, come to our house. And so she takes Jacob back to the home, and he meets with his uncle, who he's never met up until this point in time, and he's got a thing for his cousin, and back then that was okay. Uh, and he thinks that Rachel's pretty, pretty swell. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story here in Genesis 29, at the second half of verse 14. It says, after Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. So Jacob goes to work for Laban. Laban's very wealthy. He's got flocks and sheep. And all this stuff, and, and Jacob's basically working for him to earn room and board. And so Laban says, well, look, even though I'm giving you room and board, even though you're my relative and you're working for me, I, I, I want to treat you right. So what do you want to make? I want to pay you a fair wage. So verse 16 says, now Laban had two daughters. We already know about one. We're going to find out about the other one. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Verse 17 says, Leah had weak eyes. This does not mean that Leah needed glasses. Uh, Leah, in the Hebrew, this is an idiom which basically means Leah didn't look that good. Leah was Leah wasn't easy on the eye. Leah was not attractive. So we got the older sister, not a looker, and then we got the younger sister. The Bible says, uh, uh, verse seventeen. But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. In the Hebrew, that basically means she was smoking hot, right? Uh, you just got to know the original languages here. Just kidding. Uh, so we got a hot sister and a not so hot sister. Verse 18 makes it very clear. Jacob was in love with Rachel, right? Wasn't in love with Leah. He was in love with Rachel. And so he says, look, here's the deal. I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, daughter Rachel. Pretty fair deal, right? I'm going to work for you for seven years. I don't want any paycheck. I don't want anything. All I want is at the end of the seven years, I get to marry your daughter. Verse 19, Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than somebody else. So sure, stay here with me. Verse 20, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. And then this is the most romantic verse in the Bible. Ladies, underline this when you're going to want to come back to this when you find your man one day. But they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. All the ladies said, oh, right? What a, what a sweet verse. Yeah. Uh, so seemed like only a few days for seven years of work. Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. Jacob's maybe seemed very sweet. Last verse, now you're going to find out how much just a regular old dude Jacob was in verse 21. Give me my wife. Why? My time is completed, and I want to lie with her. Pretty direct, straight up. 
here's the deal. Here's my plans for your daughter. You want to know my intentions? Here's my intentions. I earned it. Uh, so now give her to me. Verse 22, so Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. So we, we can kind of read into this. Basically, they went to the wedding feast. Laban brought out the wine, the good wine. Jacob had a little too much of the good wine, went back to the room looking for his wife. And Laban pulled the old switcheroo. And uh, he decided, you know what, I'm going to give you my older daughter because, let's just be real, nobody was coming after Leah. Uh, it's just the way it was. Leah didn't have any suitors. Rachel had plenty of suitors. So Laban decided, I'm going to trick Jacob into taking the daughter. When This is where you see we reap what we sow. Jacob the deceiver gets deceived. Uh, so he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob laid with her. And Laban gave his, sister, or his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservant. And then one of the most hilarious verses in Scripture, verse 25. When morning came, there was Leah. Exclamation point. Oh, man. Jacob's hangover was a whole lot worse than he expected. Why are you in my bed? What am I doing with you? Where is your sister? Is this, you know, has this ever happened to you? Not have you ever woken up next to the wrong woman. Uh, but have you ever worked and worked and worked and worked to achieve something? And when you finally got to that moment of receiving it, it didn't turn out to be what you thought it was. You worked and worked and worked to receive that promotion. You thought, man, if I only get this promotion, then everything's going to be okay now. I'm going to have my life back. I'm going to have my time. I'm going to be taken care of. And then all of a sudden, you don't have that stupid boss anymore, but now you are the boss. And now 10 people are coming to you, and you realize, man, I wasn't as good as I expected it to be. All of a sudden, there was Leah. You, you worked and worked and worked, and you got to, finally got a raise, and you're making more money. And then, boom, there was taxes. And didn't seem like the blessing like you expected it to be. When we operate in works, when we operate in achievement, we always get Leah. We always get something that's not quite what it was cracked up to be. When we operate in trying to do something ourselves, it never quite comes together the way we think that it should. You see, Leah is representative of the law. She's representative of human effort. She's representative of us working and working and working to achieve something. We work seven years, and then we get the girl. He works seven years, and he gets the girl, but it's not the girl that he thought he was going to get. It's not coming with the blessings that he believed that it would. That's what happens whenever we get into works. Leah represents our efforts. Moving on, verse 25. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? That was the deal. Why have you deceived me? Verse 26, Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. They had a, a week of celebration for the marriage. Uh, he said, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. So Rachel's price just doubled. You worked seven years for her, you thought you got her, now you need to work another seven. And Jacob's like checking to make sure there's no other sisters, right? Like, if that's the only one, I'm about to work seven more years, I'm really going to get Rachel. And that's, as far as we know, there were no other sisters. There's no other recorded. But remember, it didn't feel like seven years to Jacob. It felt like only a few days. Because that's how much he loved Rachel. You see, Rachel is symbolic, not of the law, but of grace. You see, when you work seven years for Jesus, it only feels like a few days. When you're walking in what you've already received, 
from him, it feels free. It feels easy. Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. If your burden is heavy, you're doing it wrong. If you feel overloaded, if you feel stressed out, if you feel like God is expecting too much from you, you're not doing it right. Because Jesus says his yoke, is easy, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. When we walk in grace, when we walk in what Jesus has done for us, it's like waking up next to Rachel. When we walk in law, we wake up next to Leah. But watch what happens. This is really what I want you to see. I never saw this before until this week. This could absolutely change your life if you get this principle. Verse 28 says, and Jacob did so. He went out, set out to work his seven years. Uh, he finished the week with Leah. And then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. So now it's time for the quiz. Did Jacob do the work before he got Leah? Did Jacob do the work before he got Leah? There we go. Yes, of course he did. Did Jacob do the work before he got Rachel? No. That's why I, I misunderstood this. My whole life I thought that he worked another seven years and then he got Rachel. That's not what it says. He finished out the bridal week with Leah and then he got Rachel and then he finished out the seven years. See, he received and then he achieved. The whole thing got flipped in the second marriage because Leah was symbolic of the old covenant of man trying to get it done on his own. But Rachel is symbolic of the new covenant of God giving us the blessing of us receiving from him and then going out and achieving. It's the message of the gospel. You don't do the work and then get the, get the gift for then it's not really a gift. The message of the gospel is this. I've got the gift. Now I want to do the work. He wanted to work for Rachel. He didn't want to work for Leah. You get it? When you got Jesus, when you've received from him now, he changes inside of you and now you want to go out and do the things for him. Not because you want to earn his favor and approval, but because you love him. Jacob worked for Rachel out of his deep love for her. Not out of any requirement, not out of anything that he felt obligated to do. He did it simply out of love. And that's when we go out and achieve for God, when we receive from him first. And then we walk in the love of Jesus. We often talk about living for Jesus, and in this series, we want to help you press pause on that. Living for Jesus isn't a bad thing. I'm not trying to condemn anybody who's ever said that. I've said that many, 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 many times, and I'll probably say it again. But what I'm trying to do in my mind and what I'm trying to help you do is, is shut that off, where our mentality is no longer am I living for Jesus, but I'm living in Jesus. Colossians 2.6. So then, just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. If you're going to live for him next year, you'll wake next to Lee. Wake up next to Leah. But if you're going to live in him this year, you'll wake up next to Rachel. Who wants to live in him this year? Who wants to live in Jesus this year? Who wants to live in the power that he has? Who wants to receive from him? Who wants to be blessed by him? Who wants to walk in the gifts that he has for you and not simply in your own power and strength? I know that I do. If that's you, if this message was for you, if this encouraged you on some level, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up. I'm going to pray a blessing over you that you would walk simply this year in what Jesus has done for you. Go ahead and 
Stand to your feet if this was for you.